You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. Joe Gavallis here with the Safe Senior Hour. I hope you all are safe and healthy and, and doing well. We're very honored today. We have uh, uh, Melanie McNeil, who is the national president of the uh, National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman Programs. Uh, good morning, Melanie, and welcome. Hi, Joe. Good morning. Uh, we thank you for being on. Melanie is also the state of Georgia's state long-term ombudsman and, and has been uh, um, a guest on, the, uh, on our show for, I guess, several times. But what's significant is it's a little different time out there now than we had it when we were just talking about uh, regular issues. Now we have this cor- uh, coronavirus we uh, that is affecting everybody. So I know it certainly uh, impacts uh, your programs nationwide and, and what each of your corresponding state uh, um, directors or state, uh, whatever, however their title is in each state, I think it's different. So uh, thank you for coming on and helping to, uh, to uh, let America know uh, and, and our listeners um, and the world of what you're, uh, you know, of what you're doing. And um, uh, and what you can do. So, if you could just go through first, uh, just give us a little idea about the National Association. How what what does it encompass here? Sure. Okay. So, the National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman Programs is an association of the state long-term care ombudsmen from across the country: the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and Guam. So in all of the states in, and uh, the District of Columbia and those um, other, so Puerto Rico and Guam, have long-term care facilities of one type or another. And it's federal law that has authorized long-term care ombudsmen to be advocates for residents of long-term care facilities. So NASOP, our national association, is an opportunity we, we meet regularly over the phone by conference call to share experiences to share strategies, uh, stories about, you know, just situations. And so it's helpful, especially during this time of COVID-19, that we share with each other uh, how we might be helping residents to raise concerns, even though we're not physically in the buildings, how we might help families connect with their loved ones, how we might work with facilities to get information out to the residents and the families. And so our organization is there to help us all be better state ombudsmen to then help the consumers in our state, our long-term care residents and their families, have the best experience that they can. So, So I just wanted to let folks know, if you're trying to locate your ombudsman in your state, you can go to our website. So it's nasop.org. So that's N-A-S-O-P dot org. And you can click on the on the landing page. There's a big spot where you can click on locate an ombudsman. So if you're listening in California or you're listening in Kentucky or uh, Ohio or Idaho, wherever you are, you can go to our website, click on that link, and it will take you to the ombudsman program for your state. If, if I can, I, I I was looking at your website and I and I read your 
saw you have a comment what your mission is and it's and it's and it's very significant for what we're going to be talking about uh, today that it says our mission as mandated by the older americans act the mission of the long-term care ombudsman program is to seek resolution of problems and and advocate for the rights of residents of long-term care facilities with the goal of enhancing the quality of life and care of the residents that's said kind of uh, succinctly so let's just kind of break this down and let people know in in the way it was before COVID-19 of uh, what you all would do and and how that has changed it with this COVID if you could uh, kind of go through um you know your mission here that you were started by the federal government right? older americans act is a federal act correct right so and as you probably know joe and maybe your listeners know too the older americans act was just reauthorized by congress so that gives us another i think it's five years okay. of authority it renews every so often or, or is reauthorized every so often but our basic work is Normally, we would be visiting in long-term care facilities, and most of us visit at least quarterly, some more often. In a few states, you know, they may not visit every quarter, but, but generally speaking, ombudsman representatives are visiting at facilities as a part of their normal work. So probably every week, our ombudsman representatives are out in the field going to facilities, observing the facility itself you know does it smell clean does it look clean are the, the, the are, are things working you know as they should we visit with individual residents in their rooms to explain to them that we're advocates for the residents we don't work for the facility we work for the residents and we're advocates for them we talk to them about their experience there in the facility Frequently, a resident won't have uh, an issue or concern. Well, they'll just talk to us about you know how their services are being provided and how their life is in the nursing home. But sometimes, or, or assisted living or personal care home, boarding care homes, uh, the long-term care residents will tell us sometimes that they have a problem. It could be something that's fairly easily fixed, or it could be something that will take some time and. Uh, creative thinking to, to fix that particular issue. Melanie, uh, Melanie, excuse me, if I could yeah. interject, just for our listeners, we're using the term long-term care facilities. Can you just give the, our listeners just the, the everyday language of the of what are these type facilities? Because Oh, sure, Joe. Gosh, I apologize. No, no, so, that's fine. Yeah. So in the Older Americans Act, it gives us authority to to enter nursing homes and what are described as board and care homes. And so for most people across the country, you've probably heard that term, assisted living. And what that means is it's a place you go and you might have some help with bathing and getting dressed, some you know sort of normal kinds of everyday activities that are just a little harder for you, maybe because you have arthritis or you have some other disabilities. Usually it involves some assistance with taking medication. Uh, usually food is provided, so you have a dining experience as well. Some states call those uh, adult homes or adult foster homes. Here in Georgia, we call them personal care homes or sometimes assisted living. It depends on how they're licensed. But essentially, it's 
the kind of care that doesn't really require a lot of medical supervision, as opposed to nursing homes, in which case those residents use, need more medical interventions or medical assistance. And so uh, I think maybe defining it that way will help everyone, regardless of where you are in the country. Nursing homes are more medical. Assisted living, boarding care, personal care homes are less medical. And, and usually less people, right? Isn't that the way it, it could be yes. smaller, smaller number uh, of residents? Uh, sorry. I would say smaller number of residents normally. Frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Fre- frequently, assisted living or personal care homes are smaller, although I think probably everybody has seen those really big assisted livings that might have, you know, the really fancy and nice 100-bed facilities. Many of the those boarding care homes or personal care homes are much smaller and, and assisted living even some of those are, are a good bit smaller so as as what before I, I i just wanted to clarify that let's go back so you all by federal statute have the ability uh, you're the advocate as your mission says <clears throat> for <clears throat> the residents of of these of all these care homes and that that gives you access to talk to to the to the residents about their quality of life and their care. And before uh, the normal way, you would lot would make visits, correct? Before COVID, yes, yes. we would mm-hmm. we would visit um, all those types of facilities and talk with residents. Yes, just what you were saying, Joe, about the quality of life and the quality of care. And any concerns they have, if they will give us permission, we will then try to address them. We'll usually talk with residents about ways that they might be able to advocate for themselves. And sometimes residents will say, you know what, I'm just going to take care of it. Right. But sometimes residents want some assistance or they might not even want to be identified. They want the problem fixed, but they don't want it particularly related back to them and we do the best we can to keep their complaint to address a complaint but keep them anonymous when it's possible to do that uh, we also work with families when because often they'll be the ones who calls with a concern again for us we have to go back and visit with the resident first to be sure that the resident wants us to take some action if they can tell us and we need the resident permission to do that but especially during this time of COVID-19, we might be getting calls from family members about care concerns they have for the resident because the family isn't able to visit right now or not, or they can't visit in person anyway. And they may feel that, the families, I mean, may feel that they are not being heard. And so they may call the ombudsman program to say, you know, can you help us? work with the facility to resolve whatever the situation might be. So ordinarily, before COVID-19, we would go into the facility and talk with the resident about the concerns the family has raised, and then we'd go talk with the appropriate staff. If it's a laundry issue, of course, we'd talk to housekeeping. If it's a food issue, we'd talk to dietary. If it's a care issue, we might talk to the director of nursing. So now we do that by phone because we don't go, the ombudsman representatives don't go into the buildings either right now unless it's a very dire situation. So 
I, I want people to know, I want the listeners to know that you can still call your ombudsman representative even though we're not going into the building. We can still advocate for you. We might know strategies or we may know different approaches that would help as residents and families are trying to resolve whatever their situation may be. So, again, if you go to the NASOP website, so nasop.org, and click on locate an ombudsman, anyone across the country can then find their ombudsman representative. And, and, and I think what's important that you were you you or your your representatives and and we'll go into that in our next segment about how you all are staffed and 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 how you interact but but things before the covid-19 came on is that families were constantly encouraged to come and visit their loved ones in these nursing homes or long-term care and and you were and, and and you all were would 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 be in there, and I think that's the significance of what we're going to discuss in more detail here after the break. So we're about to take our first uh, break on the uh, Safe Senior Hour, and we'll be back. Want to give your family or loved one the perfect gift? Then go online and check out the TornadoBodyDryer.com. I love mine and the warm heat air massage it gives me after my shower. The Tornado Body Dryer is super. You'll love it and you'll love having one in your shower. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and medical director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the second segment of the Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavallis. And uh, we're very fortunate and honored to have a guest, uh, Melanie McNeil, who's the national president of the National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman programs and she's also the state of Georgia director and been a a uh, a, a guest on our show before um, and again thank you again Melanie for coming on and especially in this uh, time of uh, of interest of of everybody concerned about their loved ones so thank you thanks Joe we were talking before the break we were going through about what little background of what the ombudsman's program does and 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 your mission statement is really clear is the um, enhancing the quality of life and care residents of long-term care facilities we discussed what they were they were nursing homes things that were maybe called assisted living or personal care homes and and you are the the like the go between what I got the between the, the the resident um, and the facility and and you would get a lot of your information from the families, correct? Yes, we often get yeah I mean. information from families about situations at the nursing home 
or, or the assisted living or the personal care home. Right, right. And a lot of this would be because the resident would be telling their loved ones, some, if you can give us some examples, like I think you talked about a laundry issue or stuff. Could you just, just let the listeners know things that, that the ombudsman might be able to help from actual, case, you know, not cases, but matters that you've heard already being discussed um, with your uh, fellow ombudsman? Well, so generally, we might get a call from a family member that says their loved one's clothing has gone missing, for example. That's a laundry situation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more about care. So a family member might call and say, my, my loved one, when I went to see them, they were not up in dress and it was the middle of the day or it seemed like maybe they hadn't had a bath in a while or where they're aware that their loved one has uh, a wound of some kind and they feel like that's not being addressed. We would then go and talk with the resident first if the resident can tell us what the situation is. And the resident may say, you know, I know my laundry has gone missing, but I don't, I don't want you to do anything about it right now. I've already talked with the laundry, with the um, housekeeping people and they're looking into it they might tell us that or they might say you know you're right uh, my clothing has gone missing I haven't had my favorite sweater in a couple of weeks and so then we would talk with the resident about trying to address that with housekeeping it can be like I mentioned it could be a dietary issue so a resident may be getting food that they shouldn't be getting for example if they're supposed if they're not supposed to have uh, well, let me just use this as an example. They they can't swallow very well, and so they're not supposed to get the meatloaf like everyone else does. They have to have it pureed, or they have to have it right. prepared in a different way. Again, we would go and talk with the resident about it first, and make sure that it's okay with them to advocate for it. So it it, it is it, it is for our listeners out there. It is it, you all are are. First of all, very dedicated what you do, and and, and and we can't thank you all enough. But it's a voice that w- that it it's a place where they'll listen to the voice of of the families if there are concerns, and then try to work it out if the resident agrees. Is that basically it? Yes. Sometimes residents don't want us to do anything because they fear retaliation or or they just may not want to raise the issues. They, they have their own reason that they don't want to raise the issue. So that's why we need their permission first. And then from there, you know, if the resident won't give us permission, we would talk with other residents to see if they were having similar concerns and if they would give us permission then to take some action. Well, but sometimes the families want us to do something and the resident just doesn't want anything done about it and we have to go by what the resident wants. Right, and, and and again, it, but at least somebody's listening to 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 the to the issues that the families or the loved ones, not necessarily the part of the family, but people who are caring. I know we have a lot of friends that are in nursing homes, and it's the neighbor, it's their, it's former neighbors that are very concerned because the family is in another state or something. Um, and so that information, uh, and I can see why, you know, because they would look at what they think is important, but the resident doesn't want to raise the issue. And that's why you go to the residents, correct? 
Right. That's why we talk to the resident first. And thank you for mentioning, Joe, that sometimes family members are out of state. We often get calls from family members who live in other states, but their loved one lives in a facility here in Georgia. And that's true across the country. So if you're a listener in Pennsylvania, but you have a loved one in Texas, you can call the Texas Ombudsman and tell them your concern on behalf of the resident that's there in Texas. And the Ombudsman there will work with the family member in Pennsylvania to go and talk to the resident, find out what the situation is, and try to resolve it as long as we have permission from the resident to do that. And, and I think that's that's really significant. I mean, it gives people a place to go when you're many, many miles away to, to address an issue without having to go and, you know, and, and, and I've, I've talked to people before, well, we thought we had to hire an attorney. We thought we did. Nobody would listen to them, and we'd say, well, have you tried the Ombudsman's program? And they go, well, what is it? And you tell them, and they would go back and say, well, well, thank you for telling us that we got it resolved, and it was, it was to everybody's satisfaction, and, and everybody's happy. And they were honest. They said it saved us a lot of money because, it, and it was and it was worked on relatively quickly. It wasn't like oh, we'll get to you in six months or a year. You know, people try to address it. I don't know if you have a kind of a guidance for time to handle complaints or not. Do you? We do. I think most programs do. I can't say for sure that they all do, but I suspect they all do. We have a standard of promptness. So that, you know, if it's a very serious situation, we're probably going to try and address it that that very day if we can. But if it's, oh, like missing laundry, for example, yeah. we do prioritize the work that we're doing. And so, but but even, even something that seems somewhat benign, like missing laundry, we still have a standard of promptness that it must be addressed within seven days. That's our standard in Georgia. I don't know what it is in each of the other states, but I'm sure they have similar standards of promptness to at least, you know, find out what the issue is, try and reach the resident. Some issues resolve fairly quickly, and some issues do take some time. So if it involves um, talking with the doctor about making a change to the resident's care plan or an additional type of service that the resident wants. Sometimes it takes time to get all those things set up if it's possible to do that. So not everything resolves that quickly, but but anyone who has a complaint for an ombudsman program should hear back fairly quickly from the ombudsman representative about what the concern is and, and how we'll move forward to try and resolve the problem. So they don't just languish. Right, right. And, and and I think that's your point, that every state has an ombudsman program um, and um, I guess territories. I guess you said, didn't you say Guam has it? And, uh, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, could you just go over just generally to let let our listeners know how are how are and I know it's different in every in every state, but who, who are who are these ombudsman's representatives? Is this the, how, how is it done in you know in the various states? Well, every state has to certify their ombudsman representatives. Each state does it a little bit differently. Frequently, our ombudsman representatives are are individuals who have a social work background, but that's not always the case. Sometimes our ombudsman representatives have worked in a nursing home or an assisted living mm. in the past, and they've decided to make a change and want to be an advocate for residents. 
so we have here in Georgia we have folks who have been administrators of long-term care facilities activities directors other types of individuals who work in long-term care facilities who decide they'd really like to be an advocate instead but generally speaking our ombudsman representatives are not usually nurses for example although we have some nurses I imagine most programs have at least a few nurses, but most are have some type of a social work background or a social services background of one type or another. And so people who are very concerned with identifying what the problems are and then doing problem solving. Are, I think are, that's the most important skill we, we ask of our ombudsman representatives to identify problems and then be creative in ways to try and and resolve them to the satisfaction of, of the residents in particular and their families and oh. facilities when, when we can. Right. Are, 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 is there a pretty much a standard? Are these people paid state employees? Are they volunteers? Or how, how does that work? And I'm sure that there's... Well, that's a good question, Joe. In some states, ombudsman representatives are state employees. In mm-hmm. some states the ombudsman representative work for a nonprofit agency or they might work for the area agency on aging. Some states use a lot of volunteers who make regular visits to facilities and some states use some volunteers. So some programs are, are very volunteer driven. I think Florida is a state that uses a lot of volunteers. Some states use some volunteers like we do here in Georgia. We use some volunteers but but we have more paid ombudsman representatives than we have volunteers. Okay. And and if I'm a listener out there, and, and especially now when people are looking to, to, to whatever they can do to help, um, uh, is there, uh, and they have an interest to either volunteer or try to apply if there are openings, what is the best way to do that? Well, probably... I can say for Georgia, but I imagine for the other states as well. You can reach out to the state long-term care ombudsman. Every state has a state long-term care ombudsman. So you can reach out to their office and and indicate your interest, whether it's as an employed ombudsman representative or as a volunteer. And then they, the state office will help you connect with whatever feature of the program would work for you. So like here in Georgia, we have different, we've divided the state up into six segments. I think other states have done similar things. You know, they divide the state sure. up into Regional, certain areas. Right. So if, if you live in a particular area, you probably want to volunteer in that area. So your state ombudsman would help you connect with that particular area to apply for an opening, apply for a job if there's an opening or, or if not to volunteer and they'll, they'll help with that. And, and is there a... Uh, you know, somebody comes in with either a nursing background or, or working in, in a uh, uh, one of the uh, long-term care facilities that might be retired that's looking to help out any way they can. Is there a training program? Is there a test? Or basically through interviewing and, and looking at their background? How, and, and I know you can't speak for every state, but, but pretty much how, how, how is that done? Well, yes, every state does have a process, a training process for certifying their ombudsman representatives and for deploying volunteers. In fact, 
through the Administration for Community Living, we have some guidance now about training. I think most states probably covered the type of training that we've gotten from the Administration for Community Living, but now we have a little bit more formal guidance about recommendations for how to do the training. Some states are very rigorous, and Georgia is a very rigorous training. In some states, it's not quite as intense. So for us in Georgia, for example, you have three days of classroom training. You have three days of training in a nurse, uh, two days of training in a nursing home, a day of training in assisted living, field work, and a written exam and an oral exam. So it's just pretty rigorous. Uh, In some states, they may not have quite that same amount of training. Part of what we do in Georgia is prescribed by state law, and each state probably has similar kind of guidance in in their state law about the training that's required. But again, we have got some training standards from the Administration for Community Living, well, and so I, no, people I, don't need to feel like they're going to get just sort of pushed out there. Right, they right. will have sufficient training so that they'll be comfortable. Well, I do appreciate that. We're going to have to take a break from our second segment, but we'll be back with Melanie McNeil, the uh, president of the National Association of Long-Term Ombudsmen, uh, right after this break. Okay, uh, quickly I want to mention the fact that the uh, Department of Justice, DOJ, has contacted us and asked us, as uh, and uh, also Fox News picked up on this, that uh, right now the scams are going crazy, calling elderly and saying, look, if you just give me your Social Security number, I can assure you that the payment will come faster from the government, or on and on and on, or we've got the cure for the... COVID-19 virus or coronavirus or we can do this we can, any way to get a dollar out of your pocket or your loved one's pocket so if you're elderly you get a phone call you get an email from somebody that you're very curious about asking you for money because they can do something with the government one cancel them and or delete them or hang up on them and if they call back call the police these people are terrible, and we want to put a stop to it, and you can put a stop to it by hanging up on them. So with that being said, we'll get back to the show momentarily. If your health insurance premium is more than your mortgage, Ellen Deal with Ideal Solutions is here to help. Whether you're a small business owner, individual family, or baby boomer, email MAGA45CAG at gmail.com, and I'll respond with three easy questions to help you determine if you can get away from Obamacare. As a 20-year veteran of the insurance industry, I'm here to help with all your insurance needs. Email Ellen Deal at MAGA45CAG at gmail.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. 
If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the uh, third segment of the Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavallis, and we are honored to have a guest today, Melanie McNeil, the uh, national president of the National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman's Program and the state ombudsman for the uh, state of Georgia. Um, uh, Before we go in, I'm just going to follow up on what David said, um, the North Georgia Elder Abuse Task Force here. in cooperation with the Northern District of Georgia U.S. Attorney's Office, has uh, put out a notice um, uh, about the uh, um, to to avoid uh, coronavirus scams, and just some uh, some tips that we all should be uh, aware of. Hang up on robocalls, and that scammers are using illegal robocalls to pitch everything from scam. Uh, uh, coronavirus treatments to work at home schemes Two, verify information contact trusted sources to confirm information is correct for the most up to date information about the coronavirus visit the CDC um, at www.cdc.gov the third item is know who you're buying from online sellers may claim to have in demand products like cleaning, household, and health and medical suppliers when, in fact, they don't. Four, don't click on links from sources you don't know. Very important. Once you do that, you're just opening. It's like opening your door and inviting people into your house. That's what you do when you just click on a link for uh, somebody you don't know um, on the computer. And do your homework. Don't let anyone rush you into making a decision or making a donation. If someone wants a donation in cash by gift card or by wiring money, don't do it. Those were the quick uh, quick um, uh, list of things to be aware of. And if you were believed you're a victim of a scam, call your local police or sheriffs and then file a complaint with the uh, National Center for Disaster Fraud. Its initials are NCDF. But it's a one eight it's a one eight six six number, and it's one eight six six seven two zero five seven two one, and that just call that number and advise them that you've been a uh, victim of a scam, and they'll advise you to uh, um, what to do or where to go, um, and then of course there's 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 other government agencies that you can deal with and their websites. Uh, but this is very important. You have that number, one six six seven two zero five seven two one. So with that, we'll go back with with our guest, Melanie. And, and Melanie, we were talking about, I think, the, the, the training and mandated training for volunteers or your employees that you have in Georgia. And I think you're talking about three days and, um, and then uh, other deals. Could you just go over that real quickly so we can uh, cover that? Um, a little more detail. Sure. So, Joe, again, across the country, each state has a program of training, both for their employees, their paid staff, and for their volunteers. Right. Yeah. And so for staff ombudsman in Georgia, for example, they have three days of classroom training. They have 
two days of training in a nursing home, two days all day long in a nursing home, a day in assisted living, board and care homes, whatever you want to, however you want to describe them. And they have field observations and field work, and then they have a written exam and an oral exam. I don't know that all states have that many steps. Ours is directed to some degree by our state law, but the the Federal Administration for Community Living has also provided some guidance for training for both staff and volunteers. Part of the reason for the training is to make sure that our staff ombudsman and our volunteers are comfortable with what they may encounter, what kinds of issues they might encounter, how to talk to residents and how to really uh, be sure you're listening to what the concerns are, how to then develop some strategies, get permission from the resident to take action, and how then also to deal with facilities to get to the place that the resident is satisfied with whatever the resolution may be. So all of that training for both staff and volunteers is so that they can do the best job they can to help residents and families feel like their their loved one is getting the best possible care and the best quality of life that we can, you know, so we're going to advocate for that. And and just to remind our listeners, the Ombudsman Program is open for business throughout the United States. That, it is. That, so as we were talking before, Joe, typically we would be visiting in facilities. And I should say that under ordinary circumstances, in the wintertime, most every state is experiencing flu, flu in long-term care facilities. So some of the guidance we've been getting recently about COVID is guidance we would use even even in a normal time. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, don't touch surfaces, you know, so that we're not taking uh, uh, any kind of flu or anything. So we're, that we're doing as best we can not to take it from room to room or from one nursing home to another nursing home. So we have those kinds of guidance and uh, practices, practices, I guess I should say, typically. But with this COVID virus, because it acts a little bit differently, everyone is being more careful because the the experience, uh, especially of people who have underlying conditions or who are older, are more susceptible to the worst outcomes. So we're trying to be extra careful. So ordinarily this time of year we would be visiting in facilities, but right now we aren't actually going in, except in extraordinary circumstances where it just seems that, you know, we absolutely have to, we absolutely have to be there. And, of course, we would working, we'd be working with the facility about a safe way to be in the facility. We'd do the screening. I think part of the reason that all the facilities are being especially careful right now is there is a lack of personal protective equipment. So we don't have the masks and the gowns and the shoe covers, all those things that we might ordinarily use if we were going to a room where a a resident is particularly, um, has a a particularly virulent or uh, contagious kind of a um, situation. So that's, I think, part of the reason that even for families, the facilities just don't have the protective equipment to help keep the visitor safe and the resident safe and the staff safe. But, I'm but, sure that's part of the reason. Right. But nonetheless, what you were saying, Joe, is we are still open for business. So everybody's trying to be creative. Facilities are trying to help their residents use FaceTime or 
or another way to communicate with their loved ones. What, what I've heard from our folks in the field is that families are coming to the window of the resident's room and they can at least see their loved one and the loved one can see the family through the window and they may talk on the phone. For those families who are farther away, they might do something like FaceTime. Not every facility has that ability. Not every resident will be able to take advantage of that. But many more of them are doing that now than we might have in the past just, you know, to keep everybody safe and to make sure that we're not spreading, you know, inadvertently that we're not spreading the, the virus even could, farther. Could, uh, Melanie, could you give that number again that uh, uh, you gave earlier that if people are wondering, you know, who do I get in touch with or where? And uh, and especially the example you gave, somebody lives in the in in the Midwest, and their their loved one is in a, a nursing facility in the Southwest or in Southeast. Uh, what, who to call, and 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 t- to get some help. Right. So, if if your listeners will go to it's the NASOP website. So it's N like Nancy, A like Apple. S like Sam, O like Oscar, P like Paul, nasop.org. When you open that page, you'll see in the right-hand corner a big square that says locate your ombudsman or locate ombudsman. Just click on that. It will will take you then to a website that shows all the states. And you just click on your state, and it will take you to the state ombudsman. So, and then you can make, you know, further connections from there to the person who might be the one that would ordinarily be visiting visiting with your loved one in a facility. So, just to make clear, I'm in. Let's hypothetically say I'm in Wisconsin, and my loved one is in a uh, a facility in uh, Arkansas. So, your what is your recommendation for me as a family member who has a concern? Do I call? Should I call my Wisconsin ombudsman and have them, or would they then call Arkansas, or can I call Arkansas directly? What is the protocol there? You can do any of those things. So I'm sorry, I didn't even say that at first. If if you live in Georgia, but you're concerned about a loved one in Montana, you can call me in Georgia. You can call the state office in Georgia, and we'll help you connect with folks in Montana. All the state ombudsmen would do that. So if you live in Ohio, you call the Ohio ombudsman. Uh, but you can also go to the NASOP website, so right. org, and just click on the link, and it will take you to – so if you live in Wisconsin and you're trying to get to Arkansas, you click on Arkansas, it will give you the contact information for the Arkansas state ombudsman. And that Arkansas state ombudsman will help – you know, anybody who calls, you know, that's, that's what we're there for, to help make a connection with an ombudsman representative who is in the field, who would be visiting, you know, your loved one's facility regularly, and then they can make the, you know, contact from there. So either way, call your state ombudsman or click on the link to the state where your loved one lives and call that state ombudsman. We... we uh we failed to, to, at the beginning to go through what is your background so people know what your background is, Melanie. Oh, well, so, Joe, I, I actually have a law degree. Some state ombudsmen are lawyers, but we're not. So we're state ombudsmen. Uh, but uh, I was an older advocate for 
about 11 years before I became the state ombudsman. I've been the state ombudsman now for 10 years in August. So I have a strong advocacy background, and that's what our program is all about, advocacy for the resident, trying to do what it is that the resident wants. And we're there to advocate with the facility staff or with others in order to make sure that the resident has the best quality of life and care that can be possible for them. So our program is all about advocacy and whatever we can do to help the resident. And, and I, go ahead, I'm sorry. And I just should also say, uh, Joe, that our services are free, so you don't have to pay for an ombudsman representative to help your loved one. You were talking on uh, an earlier segment about hiring an attorney. Sometimes that may be appropriate, depending on whatever the concern is. But before you go there, you can always talk to the ombudsman representative first. And if we can assist, we'll do what we can to make things. Well, well, well our listeners, anytime you get something for free that you're dealing with from uh, from an entity, uh, from, from a governmental entity, please take advantage of it. And we should do that. But... But we're going to come back here. That'll end our third segment of the Safe Senior Hour, and we will be back and go into some more issues with dealing with uh, COVID-19 and with Melanie McNeil. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? and what is the best place to go for the care that is needed. We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is around town movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around Town Movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, Around Town Movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's Around Town Movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Well, welcome back to the uh, final segment of the Safe Senior Hour with Joe Gavallis. And again, our, we're honored to have a guest, Melanie McNeil, the National President of the National Association of State Long-Term Care Ombudsman Programs. Uh, there's one in, there's an ombudsman program in every state. 
and she's also the state of Georgia, uh, the state long-term ombudsman, and and uh, we certainly welcome her back. And just before we go into um, our last segment, talking about some specific issues dealing with a possible with the new regu- with the new rules dealing with COVID uh, nineteen and and. And how we have to deal with dealing with loved ones in, in, in various long-term care places. I just want to go over let people know that uh, uh, just some issues that have taken place the uh, concerning um, the scams dealing with um, the coronavirus scams. Uh, just some highlights. The Department of Justice... Sues and shuts down a website claiming to be selling a virus vaccine and just taking people's money. The uh, In Australia, as you know, this is a, a web radio, and this goes all over, not just the country, but all over the world. And the Australia uh, uh, warns of, of virus scams. They put out a notice. Uh the uh, FBI put out a notice. The United Kingdom warns of scams that they are uh, that they are seeing. The Missouri here in the United States Attorney General sues an evangelist over claims for virus treatment products. Remember what we were just talking about uh, before. We read out some some tips to help you. Uh, scammers sending email threatening to expose your family to virus unless you pay them $4,000 with Bitcom. This is another issue. Um, The European Union documents say uh, Russians have launched campaign to try and create panic in Europe over the virus. Canada seeing a fake letter to apartment building tenants asking for fees for cleaning concerning the virus. Singapore shuts down over a thousand websites for products claiming they can help with the virus. And Interpol makes major effort to tackle the counterfeit mask and drugs for the virus. These all can be found on, and if people have an interest in these various frauds and frauds in general, the Baker Fraud Report is a great place to look on. It's on your, it's just Google it and you can go online and it gives you a pretty good rundown of different uh, types of frauds, not only here in the United States, but all over the country, as you just heard. I just read some of those. So uh, so everybody be on the lookout and, and let you know. And, and the government can only do enough stuff if you tell them. Again, elder abuse, financial frauds uh, don't report themselves. So you have to report it to the proper authorities, and we said earlier call your local police or sheriff and then report it to the um, uh, to the uh, one eight six the national center for uh, disaster fraud one eight six six seven two zero five seven two one and then that'll get you to the proper place but now we're going to go back with melanie mcneil and and melanie you and i saw an article that was in Saturday's Wall Street Journal, and it's entitled Nursing Home Visitor Ban Raises Difficult Questions. And you and I kind of chatted about this. Can you go over the scenarios of what took place? This was an article by, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Yuka Hayasia, H-A-Y-A-S-H-I, first name Yuka, Y-U-K-A. 
And it's a very interesting article concerning situations in Kentucky and in Rhode Island. And, and, and we're not going to get into the individual merits of each one, but it shows you some issues that will affect many people throughout the United States concerning what um, the, the new uh, way we have to handle our lives dealing with our loved ones in long-term care. Right. So for your listeners, some of the concerns that family members may have is, you know, my loved one is quite elderly. I usually go to feed my loved one to help with the dining experience, and now I'm being restricted. Some For some families, the situation is um, serious enough that a facility may say, yes, you as a family member may come in under, you know, these conditions, you know, you have to be screened, you have to, um, you have to be very limited where you go. In some extreme cases, and we've heard about these in Georgia, a family member will refuse to eat. The resident will refuse to eat, really, really refuse. And so then the facility may make an exception. Not all facilities will do that. Not all situations are quite that dire. When someone is on hospice, and if the hospice provider says, there's not much time left then the family will want to call the facility to say you know we really want to come in and see our loved one and some facilities will make that exception it is allowable from the the guidance from the centers for medicare and medicaid services to facilities that they they should keep visitors out except for these you know kind of extreme circumstances Let me just interject, if I can. You made a very good point there, Melanie. People have to remember, you know, the U.S. government barred family members from visiting relatives in nursing home, but it did make an exception, and one of them is end-of-life situations, and and that poses a debate. But it's done, this is done from, from, from the federal government. This wasn't done everybody individually doing it on their own. That sounds according to the article, correct? Right. This was guidance from the federal government. So for those facilities that aren't nursing homes and may not be subject to the federal guidance, they're still going by that federal guidance because it's just like, you know, the CDC tells us, do these things, you know, be careful. That's what the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services have done is they're telling facilities to be particularly careful. And so their state-level assisted livings and personal care homes are following suit for the same reasons, just to protect the residents and the the community, to to protect everyone as best they can. Well, I think uh, before we go on, they, they quote something which I think is significant for our listeners and worldwide, that we have 1.4 million elderly and disabled adults living in more than 15,000 nursing homes, according to the U.S. government data. That's a lot of people. So when we're talking about it, it could affect many people here. Right. And, you know, when you think about here in Georgia, for example, between for all of our long-term care facilities, personal care homes, assisted living, nursing homes. It's about 80,000 people. That's a lot. lot. And in each state, you know, depending on the population, it's probably a similar percentage. And so, you know, we want to be as careful and protective of everyone as we can. But the federal guidance does allow for sort of a case-by-case consideration. So some families have been successful in making their argument to the facility to allow them to, you know, come to the facility. But some families are opting to take their loved ones home. 
and and you can do that too. You know, uh, if a resident is willing to to go home, the family members may want to do that to provide the care, like that Wall Street Journal article mentioned. The family was willing to you know, be there around the clock for their, for their loved one at home. I believe this is true across the, the country. I know it is here in Georgia that we have had some families that have just opted to take their loved one home. But not everybody can do that. No, and I, and I think what it does is allow people to make some individual uh, decisions in cooperation with the um, with, with the long term care and 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 I think in the middle of this, as as my recommendation is that you contact, if you have some issues, is contact your local ombudsman in your state and and, and just discuss it, right? I mean, they, they're up for not just complaints, but to discuss some of these issues, correct? Absolutely, right. So we are, our ombudsman representatives across the country are working with facilities and families both, because we're all right. in this together, with the residents too, to try and make sure the resident still has a good quality of life and yet is safe and the family members are able to participate but they're safe and their loved one is safe. Facilities are looking for, you know, some ideas too to help, you know, what can we do to make sure well, we have enough activities. So facilities are being creative yeah. about But, but any I, I just gonna have we're we're there's, we're about to run out of time, Melanie and and hopefully to have you back on. I can't thank you enough and have your listeners call your ombudsman and 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 help and again thank you melanie and uh, that'll be uh, our final segment today that'll end it and um remember elder abuse doesn't report itself and again um i hope you all stay safe and healthy you're listening to america's web radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com thank you for listening